pray as we begin, shall we? Lord, we come to your word. We ask that you would take it, apply it to us. Help us to see your communication to us through it. Bless our fellowship that we might lift each other up with the power and strength that you alone give. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going through a series called Unshackled, and the series is about the life of Paul as he unshackles the life of the gospel to the world. He unpackages it in a way that he reaches the then known world. I don't know of how many people might have been that active in traveling, but he's not traveling to sell things, he's traveling to share the gospel. And so he goes from place to place. We're looking specifically, if you'd like a head start, at Acts chapter 20, verse 7. We'll get there in just a moment. In this message, the title is, Go Help Eutychus. Go Help Eutychus. Christ, through Paul, is unshackling the gospel to many places. He's in his third missionary journey, and you might wonder, what is Paul preaching about? I came up with two major emphasis. The first is found in 1 Corinthians 15. Each of the apostles preached this message, but Paul in particular emphasized it a number of times. It says here, but if it was preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And then he, we jump over to verse 20. He said, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The risen Christ is what gives the power to the message of the early church. They went from place to place telling that Jesus is alive and that he's raised from the dead. The second element that Paul preached as he went from church to church is found even in this chapter, chapter 20, verse 24. It says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus have give, has given me. And here it is, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul went from place to place encouraging them that we serve a risen Lord, and then he told them what impact the Lord would have in their lives. That by grace you're saved through faith. It is not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians chapter 2. And we hear him going from place to place in his third missionary journey. Not the first, not the second, but this is the third now in chapter 20. You can see some familiar places. Ephesus, where he wrote to the Ephesians. Philippi, where he wrote to the Philippians. Thessalonica, he wrote to the Thessalonians. And Corinth, where he wrote to the Corinthians. As he comes to the conclusion or the end of the distance, he turns around and starts going back. And as you can see in this map, he retraced his steps until he came again to Troas. He spent about a week in Troas in this fledgling church, 
strengthening, encouraging, upbuilding, and establishing the new believers that were in Troas. One week. Pastors like to stay in one place a long time, but he only had the privilege of one week, and then he was on his way. Before we get too far here, I'd like to give credit to two individuals or two sources that I found in preparation for this service. One was a pastor, Michael Polite, and the other was a message by Lightbearers Convention or speaker that I have used. Look at chapter 20, if you would, and let's read it quickly. Verse 7, Acts chapter 20, verse 7. And now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they gathered together, and in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and Paul continued speaking. He fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when they had come up, had broken bread and eaten, talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive. And they were not a little comforted. In other words, they were greatly comforted. Now, this passage is in Scripture for a reason, and it's a practical reason. So let's get practical and talk about issues that we face as a church. I'm sure you've never seen this occurrence, but we struggle with it from time to time. It's a challenge that we all have. It's kind of a source of humor as we look over the audience. But are, are we, are, are you with me? You've never seen anybody fall asleep in church? It happens. It happens frequently. You sit down and you're inactive. And one type of sleeper is very attentive and tries to cover it so well. So he might or she might be sitting there looking meditative with their eyes closed. Actually, they're sound asleep. There might be something that startles them awake and they nod their head as if to cover that they're not really sleeping, they're just meditating and attentive, but they're actually sound asleep. The other is the nodder, and you might have seen this, you wonder whether their head is going right or whether it's going left, whether it's going back or whether it's going forward. And in years ago, we used to have elders sitting on the platform, and it was a constant source of distraction from the message that was being preached. Are you with me? So now we don't have them back there anymore because <clears throat> you're with me. Another group in the church who fall asleep are sanctified sleepers. They have their Bible open as if they're meditating on the message that the pastor's giving, but their eyes are closed. And it's a giveaway when their head doesn't quite line up with where the Bible is. And maybe the mouth starts to gape open. <clears throat> and if they really get into it, the Bible starts to slump. And it doesn't quite match up. And then there's the person who falls asleep in church. We'll refer to this one as a whiplash sleeper. It's kind of like the guy up there. 
the head goes back, the mouth starts to open up, and then there's something that startles them awake, and they go, oh, and, and you wonder, <clears throat> are you okay? Do you need medical attention? Uh, I have a good chiropractor I can refer you to. Sleeping in church. Ellen White even struggled with this. In her later years, she's on the platform preaching, and she noticed the smiles of some of the people in the audience, and <clears throat> she knows she didn't say anything humorous in what she was presenting, and she turns around and she sees Willie sound asleep in the chair right behind her. Willie is her son. He's there to encourage and accompany her if she needs help on and off the platform or whatever may be the need. And she said, don't be too hard on Willie. I taught him to sleep in church. In her younger years when he was a little baby, the pulpits were quite large. And they created, James and Ellen White, a little cradle that they put in the podium because he was a little baby. And they would nudge it with their foot and it would rock. And Willie would stay asleep while they preached. And it wasn't too obtrusive for everyone that was there. It was not a problem. So she said, don't be too hard on him. Well, sleeping in church can be a source of humor, can be a source of entertainment. It's a problem. But when you start to look at the medical part of it, it really is a problem. Dick Dirksen, who at one time was the principal at Campion and pastored the church at the same time, writes about his problem. His family would nudge him, poke him in the elbow, poke him in the ribs, uh, nudge him with their elbows, trying to keep him awake. Dirty looks, punches did not help. He still went to sleep. Dick is a rather active person, and when he sat down, he went to sleep. So he went to a doctor, trying to find out what the problem is. Is it a sleep disorder? And so the doctor is, assesses him and says, you have hypersomnolence. I had to work hard to pronounce that hypersomnolence. It means when you sit down and are inactive, you go to sleep. Oh, well, I'm normal. No, no, you're challenged. Well, what can I do? Because sleeping in church wasn't acceptable to him, and so the doctor said, you can take this fistful of pills before you go to church to keep you awake. Well, no thanks, I don't care for that. You can stoke up on caffeine before you go into church and stay awake. No, that's not what he wanted to do either. So in dialogue and in study, Dick came up with several things. He could stand in the back, and it's harder to sleep when you're standing. You could walk back and forth, or he could, to stay awake. You could underline every passage that the pastor refers to as a way of staying alert. You could say amen several times through the sermon in a loud way. It, it enlivens the pastor and keeps him awake as well. I mean, Dick awake, not the pastor. <laughs> What's happening when we sleep in church is that our body is overriding our power of choice. Our body is coming to the place where we have uh, toxins that are building up, or there's a lack of oxygen in our brain, and to reset, to recalibrate, and to help our body, 
it puts it in a timeout mode. It's called sleep. It comes worse after a potluck. So if a speaker has the hour of death, as they might call it, there's no way for the audience to stay awake. They just ate potluck. I mean, sister so-and-so's casserole was delicious. Uh, that chilariano or that uh, enchilada dish was just, oh, to die for. And then the dessert table, there's a pie that's lovely, and then there's another kind of pie beside it, and you wouldn't want to offend whoever made either one of them, and so you take one of each. And when you sit down for the afternoon service, all the blood is rushed out of your brain into your stomach, and there's no way you're going to stay awake for the rest of the message. So just what you, so you know what's going on, sleep is the result of body damage. Living day to day, we encounter damage. And the way your body machine heals itself, wonderfully made, from the damage that occurs is to let the body sleep and let the levels adjust. When you awake, you're going to have more damage. And so sleep is the way it heals. It's not funny. It's just something you can't help many times. Now, in this passage, Eutychus, we are so hard on Eutychus. Eutychus was a, one, a young man sleeping in the, uh, the windowsill. We hammer the young people sometimes, but Eutychus is not trying to rebel. He just can't help it. Eutychus is not rebelling against the church. And sometimes we as preachers hammer the young people, stay awake. Well, yes, they need to stay awake. All of us do. Stay involved, yes. Don't drop out. Don't fall out. Don't zone out. Don't check out. Stay in the church. Well, that's wonderful, but Eutychus is in the church. He's doing his best to stay there. And in Troas, they may have been worshiping all day, and now it's going into midnight mode. Jesus told the parable of the ten virgins, and he doesn't give extra credit to the wise virgins, five, for staying awake all night. They didn't. All ten went to sleep. But what happened before they went to sleep was what was important, and what happened afterwards is the result. Even the disciples, as they were in the garden with Jesus, Jesus is struggling in the garden for those moments as he's perspiring drops of blood in agony for our salvation and his crucifixion about to take place. He comes back. He's asked the disciples to watch and pray, and he comes back time after time, and they're sound asleep, aren't they? And he tells them, finally, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Too long we criticize each other in the church be, being, oh, you're not as dedicated. You're not as spiritual because you fell asleep during the sermon. That's not the case. That's not what's going on. If you're sleepy, it's a sign that you're trying to fight to stay awake. And you can't win. There's just too much damage, too many toxins, not enough oxygen, not enough activity for you to stay awake. It's a human struggle. It's a challenge. 
And Luke in chapter 20 paints a picture for us, a word picture. No, Paul probably didn't write Acts. Luke was his traveling companion and as a doctor may have noted and written all of Acts as a way of accounting for the journey and the work and the missionary work that Paul accomplished. Let's look at these verses now. Now on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Some people believe this passage is telling us that the early Christian church started to worship on the first day of the week. Look more carefully. In our day and age, we have ways to tell when the day begins. We determined somewhere that when does the next day begin? We have a clock that tells us it starts at midnight, correct? If you live in a place where there's no clocks, if you live in a day and age when there aren't clocks, you can't tell when midnight is. You're asleep anyway. In biblical and Jewish time of reckoning, the day went from evening till morning and into the day. In Genesis 1, it tells us the evening and the morning were the first day. Are you awake or asleep? The evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and morning were the second day. Evening and morning were the... What came first in the day? Evening or morning? Evening. I know it's not the way we usually think of it. But we as Seventh-day Adventists have recognized too in our study that from even to even shall ye celebrate my Sabbaths. So from evening time on Friday night, isn't that when Sabbath begins? Until evening time on Sabbath or Saturday night is the Sabbath. So what comes next? The evening of the first day. Somebody gets a gold star for that one, okay? The evening starts of the first day after Sabbath, sunset. And so there probably have worshiped all day Sabbath. They eat, they're continuing on as they meet with Paul. He's been there about a week. These baby Christians are dying to, not dying, but hungry for what he has to share with them. And they're listening intently. He's eager to equip them. He's eager to share everything that he can. And Luke, as he has an eye for detail, records some of the things that happen. In the next verse, it says, there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. These little lamps gave off a lot of smoke, burned up a lot of oxygen, and there's a little tiny wick sticking out on these lamps, if they were in use, that burned and gave off some light. There was some oil in it. Usually they're about the size of your hand that's cupped. You can find them. They're very common in Israel, or at least you can find parts of them. And the oxygen being burned in this small crowded room where Paul is sharing with these new baby believers, it's crowded, it's hot, it's late in the evening, they've just eaten a meal, and now these lamps are burning, it's a perfect environment for putting someone to sleep. And so as they meet together, 
Eutychus is starting to get sleepy. Luke stifles a yawn himself as he maybe wonders how long Paul is going to preach. Verse 9 goes on, and in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up in, in these rooms. They were quite small, and there was a lot of people, and Luke may have noticed Utica struggling there and nodding and chuckled to himself, but then he hears maybe a fall his eyelids have gone closed. He slumps over and falls out of the window from the third story. Excuse me, I have to go rescue Eutychus. Luke, a doctor, has declared him dead. But do not fear, he's alive. Eutychus has other responsibilities that he has to attend to, but thank you, Ben, for helping out in that way. Paul runs out. Luke saw him, and then he didn't see him because he wasn't in the window anymore. And Eutychus fell down dead. Notice what happens here. Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, do not trouble you yourself for his life is in him. And in the last verse, verse 12, it says, they brought the young man in alive and they were not a little comforted. They were greatly comforted. Can you imagine? This is an incredible underlining of the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. They could not deny it. They could not deny because Jesus, through Paul, had resurrected Eutychus from his fall. They were greatly comforted. Now, bear with me for a moment. This little church meeting together, everybody knew everybody. And in this little church, a member struggling with damage, struggling with sleep, and no one noticed? This little church has no excuse for letting someone fall out the window. Why didn't someone rush over and help him and encourage him? Not Paul, he's a guest speaker. Not Luke, maybe he didn't know who the kid was or if he was in danger or not. But somebody ought to have reached out and encouraged him and helped him to a safer place. Someone should have noticed Eutychus about to fall, but they didn't. He couldn't help himself. There wasn't enough oxygen in the room. It was toxic to him, and he couldn't hope to win. Somebody should have helped him. Now, this story I'm going to say is a metaphor for us today. 
let's get serious. Many of us come together to worship, and it's a wonderful experience. We come together, we hear testimonies of how we can witness, testimonies of how a voice of prophecy is reaching out in wonderful ways, testimonies of how someone's life has changed. We hear stories, we hear songs, and we are lifted up. We pray together, we worship together as we listen to messages. But could there be some people in this audience who aren't able to receive the blessing? Coming to church is a sign of spiritual health, but can you be here and be disconnected? Can you be here and about to fall out of the window? You could be here and be disconnected. You could be here and about to experience the greatest fall of your spiritual life. Maybe you've been taking on major damage in your life. And this service, you need someone to come and notice that you're almost falling or that you have fallen or that you are falling and say, you don't look so good. Can I pray with you? Are you okay? Do we need to step out in the foyer? Because when Eutychus fell, everything stopped and everyone rushed to check out Eutychus. Why do so many fall out of the church unnoticed? Maybe there's a lot of truth being shared in the church, but they can't soak it in because they're just taking on too much damage. Maybe it's a great service, but the damage and the lack of oxygen prevent them from the blessing that's there. Most people, when they leave the church, leave not over theology, but because they aren't cared for and aren't loved. So look around you. Don't look around critically, but recognize that someone nearby may be about to fall out the window. And my question for you is what can you do to help Eutychus? Go help Eutychus. In Troas, Luke tells about Paul running out the door at the service, in the middle of the service, he throws himself on Eutychus. The sermon stops, the singing stops. He needed help. And so Paul throws his life into Eutychus, throws his arms around him, and a miracle takes place by Jesus intervening through Paul into Eutychus's life. He gave him a hug. Is that too simplistic? Individuals today around you may need a hug. How do you win someone who's lost or fallen out? It may be through Christian compassion and godly affection that they really need a hug. And before you go around having a hug fest in this sanctuary or in the foyer after we leave, let me just open it up a little bit for you. Those hugs can take many forms. It might be words. It might be a card. Yes, some people still send cards 
and some appreciate them greatly. It might be a phone call. It might be eye contact. It might be a conversation. It might be prayer. It might be a visit. Whatever it may be, it may be a text. Your reaching out in compassion and godly affection may mean the world of restoration for someone who is falling. All those who are falling and sleepy can be reached with the power of Jesus' resurrection and the power of Jesus' gospel, good news of the gospel, by your intervening and reaching out to them. A sermon is great. Bible studies are wonderful. They need to take place. But what is most important is your attention, your compassion, and your affection. Did you notice as Phil and um, Aaron were talking here, what was most meaningful, one of the things mentioned was the love expressed in the grow group. That's what we're talking about. For someone in the church, that love, compassion, and expression is the world to them. And for someone who's not in the church, the first blush of experience will happen through reaching out to them in compassion and godly affection to encourage and uplift them. When something like this happens to Eutychus, everything stopped and they went out to go and help Eutychus. Not a potluck, not a Sabbath school, not a business meeting to enlarge the sanctuary or enlarge a part of the church. Those are all important. But a Christian expression of compassion and love was what was most important. He needed life, and Paul came and gave it in the name of Jesus Christ, and a miracle took place. The power of the resurrected Christ is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is the same power that raises us at the second coming from the dead, and the same power that can raise us and others to life in Him today. Excuse me. (coughs) The power of the gospel of grace of God through Jesus Christ is the same that can raise us to new life. Jesus can come into our life and give us a breath of fresh air, new oxygen. He can give us the power to overcome, He can give us encouragement and restore us and removal of the toxins in our life, Jesus can raise us up today as he did Eutychus in those days through the power of attention, godly compassion, and affection. Someone down the pew from you may be falling asleep, may be about to fall out the window, may be about to fall to their death, spiritually. And I want to encourage each of us to take personally the responsibility of throwing ourselves into their life with godly compassion and love and affection and win them back to you. Someone down the pew 
may need your intervention. Invest in their life and your expression of the love of Jesus can help raise them back and restore them back to life. The message that Jesus can resurrect you and them through that whole process is a miracle. Go help Eutychus. As the praise team comes forward, let me challenge you. You can go and minister to the person who is falling. You, not that you have to memorize a hundred texts, but you in the power of what Jesus has done and is doing in you can have power in their life as well. Let me put legs on it. We moved into our neighborhood about a year ago. And somehow people began to hear that we had been pastors through the years. One neighbor told us that they had cancer. It's an opportunity to minister into their lives, to throw ourselves into their life with godly compassion. And so we prayed with them. A number of other expressions as well. Another neighbor on the other side, her husband died. We were just walking out the door to go for a walk, and the daughter came over, and can you come and pray with us? And so we went over as the mortician was preparing to take him out, and we prayed with them and read Scripture with them. Just this week, two doors down, we went to get the mail. The garage door was open, and we saw our neighbor working in the garage, we went over and talked with him. We'd heard that he had had a terminal cancer diagnosis. We talked with him. He said, I'm ready, but I don't want to go yet. Uh, he said, and so they're, they're selling their house and they're relocating um, to their second home. We prayed with him. We have the ability, whether you're a pastor or not, we have the ability to reach into other people's lives. We have the ability to go. Our mission as a group of believers here is to know Jesus and then to grow in our community of faith, to know and grow closer to Him. But then go. Go and help others. It may not be comfortable but unshackle yourself and let Jesus work in you to go and help Eutychus. I encourage you in a simple invitation, if you are a person who feels convicted today that you need to and have conviction to help someone, I invite you in the power of Jesus to go and help Eutychus. If that's your conviction today, I would encourage you to raise your hand in response to Jesus' call. And if by chance you are a person who finds themselves falling out of the window, you're about to fall or you have fallen or you feel like you're dead at the bottom of the building, I invite you in some way 
to reach out to somebody in this church who has earned the right to speak into your life and invite them to help you. Shame on us for not noticing if you're falling asleep and about to fall out the window, but help us work as a community of faith to minister in any way we can to help you in your walk with Jesus. Again, let's not only know and grow, but let's go help Eutychus. Join us as we sing Lord of Creation.
writes these words that are so appropriate. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to restore you if you've fallen and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion, power, both now and forever. Amen. Thank you.